Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. One of the things we're promised when we start to follow Jesus is that we're going to have a new life. We're a new creation, the Bible says. But sometimes it can be hard to get a hold of that new life and feel like we're living it out day by day. In our current sermon series, we're talking through one specific chapter of the Bible, Colossians chapter 3. And this chapter answers two questions for us. First, it tells us what the new life we have in Christ should look like. And secondly, it tells us how we can obtain it. My heart's desire is that you would find and live out new life in Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll listen to these messages and I hope you enjoy them because I believe God has something he would like to say to you. Uh, here's, here's the truth, isn't it? The people we spend time with change the words that come out of our mouth, don't they? We find ourselves spending time with certain people. Our language changes. The words that we say change. If you've been a parent or you find yourself in that position, my guess is you find yourself saying things that you didn't used to say before. That because now you're spending time with children, language changes. You find yourself uh, saying things you thought you wouldn't say before. I find myself, Tamaya, we have three little children, my wife Lori and I, and I find myself saying things I, I, I either never thought I would say or I swore I would never say. You know, Even things like uh, no one's having ice cream until you finish all your pizza. I don't even know what that means or if that's a good thing, but I find myself saying things like that. And it's not just true when it comes to family life. It's also true in every other area of life, isn't it? If you change groups of friends, the language changes. Slang changes. If you change companies, the language changes. Your company may have had one set of terms for how projects got done. And now in a new organization, the terms change and language changes. Words that meant one thing at a different company mean something else at a new company. And the same thing happens if you move. Some of you have moved country to country, and certainly the words that you change and the, or the words that you say have changed, the language that you use. But even when we move culture to culture within a country, our words begin to change, don't they? So we know what this is like. When you spend time with certain people, the words you say begin to change. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been in one specific chapter of the Bible that we're going to be in for the next few weeks as well. And it's Colossians chapter 3. When we talk about following Jesus, and I don't know if you're in here in the room and you would call yourself someone who's a Christian or not. Either way, we're glad that you are here. But One thing you'll hear when we talk about following Jesus and walking with him is that when you walk with Jesus and you follow Jesus, you get a new life. Life changes. And in Colossians chapter 3, this one specific book of the Bible written by a man named Paul, he really details for us what that new life should look like. And we've been walking through this together. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you're using one of the Bibles that's in the seats in front of you, it's page 984. 984 is the Bibles that's in front of you. Or you could open up your phone or tablet, whatever you want to do. We're going to uh, add a couple of verses to the verses that we're looking at this week. And in these verses, this guy Paul that wrote this letter to an ancient church, he's going to tell us this. If you're someone who says you spend time with Christ, 
If you're someone who says you walk with Christ, then the words that you use should reflect that relationship. If you had a point in your life when you didn't spend time with Jesus, and now you have a point in your life where you do spend time with Jesus, Paul is going to say to you and to me, the language you use, the words that you use should change and should be different. Just like happens when you change jobs, just like happens when you add children into the mix, just like happens when you move to a new area. If you're spending time with Jesus, if that's really happening in your life, your words should change. Here's exactly how Paul says it to us, and we're going to talk about the implications for just a few moments. So if you look at Colossians chapter 3, page 984, we're on in those Bibles in your chairs, verse 1. If then, Paul says, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of the wrath of these, on, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Now here are the new verses for this week. But, you na- but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul here is pretty direct with us. Paul here is pretty clear. Since you say that you follow Jesus, Paul says, there are certain words you ought not to be using. It's really simple, and it's, it's a, the relationship is easy to say. Paul says, listen, if you walk with Christ, if that's your deal, if that's what you're doing with your life, then there's language that should not be a part of your vocabulary. It just shouldn't be there. And if you have language that's a part of your vocabulary and you say you walk with Christ, then you ought to do some sort of evaluation in your life, Paul would tell us. I think the language Paul gives us there is he says very clearly in verse 8, put them all away. Put away these words, Paul says. It's kind of like the picture that I get is how at my house, there's certain things that we have out that it's okay if they're out when it's just us. So there's papers that sit on the kitchen island that are kind of strewn everywhere throughout the course of the week. Or there are blankets that get put on the couch and don't necessarily get refolded throughout the course of the week. Or there's toys that get brought out and they don't necessarily get put away every single day. And there's books that get off, taken off the shelf and they get left in different places and they don't get put away every single day. And as long as it's just us, our family, it's okay. But if someone's coming over especially if someone is important, we're going to be spending time with them, all of a sudden it's a big deal that those things are out. And we have to put them all away. We have to clean up the papers and put those away, clean up the books, put those away, clean up the toys and put those away, fold the blankets, put them away, because we're going to be spending time with these people. Paul says something very similar. Listen, you have these words, you have this language that's a part of your vocabulary. If you're spending time with Jesus, if you're walking with Christ, as he says, then you got to put this stuff away. It can't just be out there. It's got to go somewhere else. 
And he gives us this list. And the list is far more expansive than it might at first appear. This list of anger and wrath and malice and slander. And slander, we have a, an idea of slander, really a harsh idea, and certainly includes that. But I think it also includes those little pieces of gossip. Anything we say that makes us look better and someone else look worse. Not just the big ones that you can sue someone for, but the little things that happen every single day. And obscene talk, that's an interesting word. In fact, if you have a different version of the Bible than the one that we're reading from this morning, that word might be translated with a different English word. Some books would say, um, and abusive talk. Some books would say, and filthy language. And depending on which English version you have, you probably get a picture of what Paul's talking about. But the Greek word that Paul is using is is much more expansive than any word we have in English. And that's why you end up with all of these different English translations. So when you read the version that says, get rid of all obscene talk, you might be thinking about some of the off-color things that we might say or or some of the the, um, jokes that are made or, or things that just aren't nice to say. And Paul's talking about all those. If you have the one that says filthy language, you're probably, you might just think maybe more specifically swear words. Paul's talking about those too. And if you have the one that says abusive language, and I actually think that's, in my opinion, that's the best English word to use here. Paul's talking about any sort of language that tries to gain power over another person. I don't have to spend a lot of time proving this morning that our words are powerful and they have the ability to hurt and cut down and destroy. In any of those words, Paul would say, from the, from the very serious words to the sarcastic comments that we make designed just to cut into other people and, and knock them down a rung and put them in their place, all of it is included under this umbrella. So the list that Paul gives us is quite expansive here, far more than I think it first seems when you look at the verses. Paul's saying, if you walk with Christ, then any language that is opposite of that needs to be put away. It's got to go. Now, here's the problem that you and I have, right? Many of us in the room say we walk with Christ. Some of you in the room might not call yourself a Christian. We're glad that you're here, as I said earlier. But my guess is many of us in the room on a rainy Sunday with difficult parking situation. We came to church today because we call ourselves followers of Jesus. We want to be here. And if we were to follow all of us around this last week, little camera and microphone, and all the things we said when people were around or when people weren't around, when it was just us in the car and we were, someone was driving us crazy, or when it was just us and the kids and they were really got on our nerves, or when it was just us and our spouse, or we were talking about our boss to our coworkers, if we were to be followed around the entire week, it might not take that long for us to find something that would be inconsistent. Now, here's the problem that you and I have. Paul says very clearly here, if you walk with Christ... You won't say these things. But we say these things, even though we say we walk with Christ. 
So what's going on here? How do we deal with this, this discrepancy? How do we deal with this reality in our lives? And that's where I think this passage and what Paul gives us is so valuable to understand. Because the reality is, Paul says, if you follow Jesus, you won't do it. We say we follow Jesus, and we still do. So what do we do with that? How do we solve that tension? How do we fix that problem? Well, in order to get there, I think we have to understand what Paul's saying. And I think Paul's saying something that's, that's very profound for us to understand, that if we don't understand it, we'll never get to the bottom or to a solution to this problem and discrepancy that's in our lives. You and I have the tendency, when words come out of our mouths, to put the blame for those words on outside factors, don't we? Well, you might be able to say it like this. The words that come out of you are because of what's outside of you, because of what's around you. So you might have said something that you shouldn't have said, but really the problem is the other person did something they shouldn't have done. And you make sure, you, you make sure to let people know when you're relying on your coworker, your classmate to finish their part of a project on time and they're late and the group suffers, you make sure to, to let everyone know. Not publicly, you don't make an announcement, but just in your conversations. That really the problem with this project is not that we didn't do our part, it's that they're lazy and they didn't do their part. The problem is, is them, not you, not us. And the problem, the reason I said this to that person in traffic isn't because of me, it's because they're driving like a fool. And so that's why I'm saying these things to them. And the reason I said that thing to my spouse is because they did X. And the reason I said this to my friend is because they did Y. And anytime the words that come out of us are something that we know is inconsistent with who we say we are in Christ, our tendency is to say, well, yeah, that came out of me because of outside factors. And I bet if when Paul came to this church, it's the, the letter to the Colossians, but they lived in a city called Colossae, an ancient city. My guess is that the people in the church would look back at Paul and say something like this. Paul, this is just how Colossae is. It's how we talk here. Paul wouldn't say this if they weren't doing it. Paul wasn't like, I know this isn't a problem in your church, but let me just rattle this off for you. Paul knew this was an issue. They were saying things they shouldn't be saying. And they were abusing one another with their language. And they were cutting each other down and slandering each other and gossiping. And my guess is their feeling would be, Paul, this is just how it is. This is. You don't live in Colossae. This is what the streets of Colossae are like. This is how we do business. This is how we talk. And we have to fit in. And we have to get things done. And this is just us having a good time with each other and getting business done. It'd be like if we went to certain neighborhoods in Boston or maybe even your neighborhood. And you'd say, listen, I know we shouldn't say this thing. But this is how my group of friends talks. This is how people talk in the lunchroom at work. It's just how people talk in the hallways at school. This is just how people are, and we're just trying to be a part of the group, trying to fit in. And we wouldn't talk that way if other people weren't like that. And Paul comes in here, and he says something that I think is very profound and something you and I have to understand if we're ever going to get this right. Paul comes, says, Paul comes in and says, listen, the words that come out of you that are inconsistent with what it means to follow Jesus are not the result of outside factors. Those outside factors will always be there and you can't do anything about it. The words that come from outside of you are a direct result of things that need to be changed inside of you. 
And that's a harsh reality check, I think, for many of us. It is for me. Because it's much easier for me to say, I said that because that person was late. It's much harder for me to say, I said that because I'm prideful, and that person being late, for whatever reason it was, got in my pride. Paul says that's the reality of what's happening. And he even says it in his list. The way he structures his list points to this. Because when he starts with anger and wrath and malice, he's talking about things that are internal, not external. Anger begins to build when things happen in the world around us. People do things, and our parent does something, our child does something, our spouse, brother, sister, teacher, classmate. Anger begins to build, and wrath is that sort of thing where an anger builds to the point that it begins to seep out of us. I heard one author this week that I read said that it's kind of like when you look at a tree and the sap has built up inside the tree to the point that when you look at the bark, the sap is bubbling out of the bark and beginning to flow on the outside of the tree. That's the move from anger to wrath is that anger is being upset about something. But when you really become wrathful about it, it begins to ooze out of you and people can tell something is wrong. And malice is when it begins to focus on one thing. I'm raffle at this person. And then it just presents itself. And it presents itself in slander, gossip, and obscene talk, filthy talk, abusive talk. Paul says that's the progression. It's not that person did that to me, and so I had to say these words. Paul said, it, whatever that other person did stirred that stuff inside of you, and the words that came out of you are what's happening inside there. Some of you know, if you know me well, you've been around for a little bit, I really like to read what I call the airport books, the leadership books, the business leadership books. And, and right now I'm halfway through Harvard Business Review's book on emotional intelligence. Felt like I could use some, and so I'm halfway there, 50% of the way there to being emotionally intelligent. And one of the things that strikes me about reading those sorts of articles, and if you're in a professional environment right now, this is a big buzzword, right? Emotional intelligence is a big thing. You want to grow in your career. You want to grow in your influence. You need to be emotionally intelligent, aware of your feelings and how you interact with other people and the moods that you project. And one thing that strikes me as I read these articles, and I find them very interesting, is that what they're saying on the surface doesn't really appear to be that much different than what Paul's saying. Paul's saying you should use good language. And our world says you should use good language. You should use healthy language. You shouldn't cut other people down. Our world wouldn't disagree with this. You shouldn't use abusive language towards other people. Our world would agree with that. You should build other people up and not cut them down. You should, you should celebrate other people and not use your words to hurt them. That's, that's, a, pretty, that's a message I think our world would, would agree with. See, but the difference is, is the motivation of it all. Because in the book that I'm reading, or in our world, the motivation is this. If you want people to like you more, if you want to grow in your income earning potential, if you want to grow in your ability to influence other people, and if you want to grow in your power and position, then you need to learn how to use language appropriately so that you get all of those things. Paul's not talking about that stuff at all. Paul doesn't say to us, hey, 
why don't you learn how to speak better so that people will like you more? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to you and to me, you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and you use these, this sort of language or you speak this way, it is inconsistent with who you are. And I think that's a huge difference. Because one is just trying to find an external solution to an internal problem. One is just training ourselves like we would train a, a pet or a dolphin not to say certain things or not to, not to do certain things. Hey, we didn't swear, so we'll go get a treat. We didn't swear, I don't have to put money in a jar. That's just training ourselves externally. Paul's saying to you and me, well, you have something happening internally that needs to be dealt with, needs to be handled. And if you only handle it on the external so that people like you more and you grow in your ability to make money and have influence you're ignoring what needs to be changed on the inside. In 2014, at the National Corvette Museum outside of Bowling Green, Kentucky, something happened that you may remember hearing about in the news. Everything looked great at the National Corvette Museum, all the beautiful cars and, and uh, the museum itself. And all of a sudden... In the middle of the night, a massive sinkhole opened up underneath the museum, and in just a couple of seconds, over $5 million worth of cars were swallowed into this sinkhole. And sinkholes are interesting, aren't they? You see them on the news, they open up in a street, or they open up uh, underneath a house, and they do great amount of damage. But the thing about a sinkhole is everything can look fine on the surface, but underneath this thing is growing and brewing, and eventually it exposes itself and does great damage. And I think what Paul is saying to you and to me is there is something happening on the inside of you that you can clean it up on the outside, but if you do not deal with what's happening in your heart and internally, you're going to have this sinkhole building inside of you. And eventually it's going to expose itself and do great damage. So the question becomes then, how do we deal with what's happening on the inside? If that's where our words are coming from, not from outside influences that make us say things we don't want to say, but it is from the inside and things that need to be changed, how do we go about that work? If you look back there at verse 10, I think Paul tells us very clearly how we go about that work. Paul says it like this. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on the new self. Remember, Justin opened up our service, if you were here, with talking about clothing and how we like to get rid of old clothing and put on new clothing. That's the analogy, that's the picture that Paul uses in verses 9 and 10. That before we started spending time with Jesus, we had a different wardrobe. We made a different fashion statement with what we were wearing. And when we start to spend time with Christ, all of that is supposed to change. What is old is supposed to be taken off and put away. And what is new is supposed to be put on and exhibited. And he said, once you start walking with Christ, this process begins where we are being renewed and remade into the image of our Creator. That means every single day that I start to walk with Jesus, and if you weren't here last week, I'd, I'd encourage you, maybe go on our website, go on the podcast, listen to last week because we talked about this uh, extensively, what it looks like to walk with Christ on a daily basis. If you are walking with Christ, there is this process that's happening inside of your heart and inside of your mind where you are being remade so that each and every 
day, you're becoming more like the God who created you. And Paul says, as you participate in that process, your language will change. It ought to change. How do you know if that's happening? It's tough, right? How do you know if you're doing that? Because the struggle is ongoing. The struggle is real, trying to fix all of our words and make them consistent. So how do I know if I'm really participating in this process? Well, I think there's two ways you can know. I read a story uh, a couple weeks ago about a man who walked into a restaurant and he ordered a soda from the waiter. And the waiter brought him his Coke and he put it in the man's hand and the man promptly took the Coke and threw it back in the waiter's face. And the waiter was astonished and said, what in the world was that for? And the man said, I'm sorry, I just have this compulsion. Anytime there's a drink in my hand, I, I just throw it on the person that's nearest to me. And the wa- he said to the waiter, can I have another drink, please? And the waiter said, no, you can't have another drink. I'm not going to do this again. He said, listen, I'm really going to try this time. I'm going to try not to do it this time. And so the waiter brought him a drink, and the man promptly threw it in the waiter's face. And the waiter kicked him out of the restaurant, and the man was so bothered by it that he spent the next year in counseling and therapy and going to a program for people who deal with this. A year later, he came back to the same restaurant, and he walked in. He said, can I have a, a, a soda? And the waiter said, no way. I remember you. I remember you. And he said, listen, I have spent the last year. I've spent the last year working on this. I've been dealing with this. Groups, individuals, I've been processing this whole thing. Can I have another one? This is, this is me trying to work this thing out. And so the waiter said, okay. And he gave the man the Coke, and the man promptly threw it in his face. And the waiter said, what is going on? I thought you fixed this. And the man said, no, 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 I still do it. I've just learned not to feel guilty about it. I think that's the first way you can know if you're walking with Christ. Before you walked with Christ, you would say some things, no problem. You didn't think about them again. Language that you would use, things you would say to other people. You would say them and and just, it was what it was. You would just speak in truth. And if they hadn't done that, you wouldn't have said it. But something happens when you begin to walk with Christ. All of a sudden, that stuff starts to bother you. And if it bothers you, that's not a bad thing. Don't try to get rid of being bothered by those things. That's not, the, that's not the work that God wants to do inside of you. Many times in our world, and I won't get too much in this, into this right now, but our world would say, oh, if that action bothers you, what you need to do is you need to stop feeling bothered by that action. But that's not the work that God wants to do in you. God wants to change you and make you new and renewed. And so if that bothers you, I think that's a good thing. If you go back to God and say, God, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to say those things. I don't think that's a bad thing. The second way I think you can know, the first way is if you're bothered by it. The second way I think you can know that you're in this process is if you can look back year over year and see the improvement. Sometimes it's so hard day to day to see improvement. Monday's a good day. Tuesday's a tough day. But if I look back over a month, I look back five years ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, that I've been walking with Christ, I ought to be able to see a progression. I used to get so angry at so many things. But by God's grace in my life and being made new, I'm able to deal with the things that life throws at me in a whole new way. Not because I've trained myself to do it, because God's done a work inside of me. That's what it looks like to be renewed by our Creator 
into his image. There's this process that's taking place in your heart and your life that God invites you into if you walk with Christ. Perhaps you remember in your history class that in 1871, Chicago had a great city fire. And there's a, a song that I don't know, we grew up singing when I went to camp, I remember, in the summers about old Mrs. Leary and her cow in the shed, and the cow kicked the land over and started the fire. I don't know if that's true or not, but there was a great fire in the city of Chicago. And what happened was the fire actually started in a more rural section of the city. That's why the cow's kicking the lantern over. And it spread to the urban part of the city where it did extensive damage. The funny thing is, the the interesting thing is, for the fire to go from the rural area of the city to the urban area of the city, it had to cross the Chicago River. I don't know if you've been to the city of Chicago, but the Chicago River is not a small river. It's, It's fairly wide, and it's wide enough that you would think if there was a fire on one side of it, it wouldn't be able to jump the river to the other side. And the question becomes, how did the fire move from one side of the river to the other side of the river where it did so much damage? And the answer is, is that for many years, the Chicago River was how the city dealt with all of its sewage, both from personal use and also from industry and business use. So over the years, the Chicago River became a disgusting, shallow cesspool of filth and waste, so much so that it was flammable. And the fire came across and moved right across the river where you expect it to stop and right into the other part of the city. It was so bad that in the years that followed that fire, tens of thousands of people died. In fact, in 1885, 100,000 people died from illnesses related to the Chicago River. So what do you do? Well, they began to dig out into Lake Michigan. And the Chicago River naturally flows from the Mississippi, through a few tributaries, and out into Lake Michigan. That's how it has always flowed. And they begin to dig out into Lake Michigan. In fact, they dug 28 miles out into Lake Michigan. And I read this on the internet, so you know it has to be true. They actually moved more rock and dirt in this project than they did building the Panama Canal. 28 miles out into Lake Michigan, locks and doorways, And once they were far enough out with the channel that they had built, on January 2nd, 1900, they opened up the flood doors and fresh water from Lake Michigan began to flow against the current of the Chicago River. And what happened was there was so much pressure and force coming out of Lake Michigan into the Chicago River that it actually reversed the course of the river. And so today, if you were to go to Chicago, even 120 years later, the Chicago River flows the opposite direction of the way that it would flow naturally. And so rather than flowing from the Mississippi River because of the sheer force of the fresh water coming in from Lake Michigan, it now flows into the Mississippi River and the Mississippi River carried all of that waste down into the Gulf of Mexico, where it was a large enough area for it to be dispersed. And now the water in the middle of the city of Chicago is relatively clean and fresh, and it doesn't smell. It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful river in the middle of the city. That work is the work that God wants to do in your heart and in your life through Jesus Christ. 
You see, if you're not a believer, if you're not someone that follows Jesus Christ right now with your life, if you're not someone that walks with him, listen, this is the work that God wants to do. He doesn't want to invite you into a system of rules. I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of hearing that organized religion is just a system of rules to control people. That's what our world is saying right now. That is not the work that God wants to do in your life. He does not want to invite you into an organized religion to control your life. God wants to do an amazing work of taking all of that internal junk that is inside of you and rushing in with his love and his peace and his mercy and by his spirit, remaking it all so that it is made new in him. So it is back to the way that he originally intended it to be. That is the work that God invites you to. That is the work that he calls you to. And what happens is, as I walk with Christ and he reverses the flow of my heart, and as he gets rid of all of that junk that I've built up in my life, the words that I begin to say, the language that I begin to use is reflective of that. It's an amazing process that begins the moment you decide to walk with Christ and won't end until you go to heaven. But God wants to do that work inside of you if you walk with him. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we prepare to close this morning. You know, you've heard it said, speak from your heart. Speak from your heart. That's something we would say. I think if Paul was here this morning, Paul is telling you today, God is telling you, his word is telling you, that in your day-to-day life, when you speak, you need to be speaking from your renewed heart. Not from what comes naturally, not from our sinful selves, not from our fallen selves, but from the heart that is remade and remolded and renewed by Jesus Christ. You know, this idea of being renewed into the image of our creator, it takes us back to the very beginning of the book. To when God spoke the world into existence. This is the God that we're being remade into his image. And when he spoke, he spoke life into the world. He spoke light into darkness. And if you read the text at the end of each day, there's this phrase that is said. God speaks, things are created, and then it says, and it was good. If we're being remade into the image of our creator, it's not just about stopping the bad words. It's also about starting the good words. If we're becoming more like him, it's not just about that we get rid of the slander and we get rid of what is obscene and we get rid of what is abusive. It's replaced by words that bring life, by words that bring light, by words that are good. And it's not because we've manufactured it up under our own power. It's because God has done an amazing work inside of us. Let me ask you this morning. What would it do to your marriage? What would it do to your family? What would it do to your friendships, your relationships with coworkers? If not only you got rid of what was bad, but you replaced it with what was good. You've had that experience of someone speaking into your life blessing. 
Someone speaking into your life truth. It was the teacher or the boss or the, or the pastor or the leader that saw something in you. And they said, God has made you special because of this. God wants to do an amazing work in you. You are loved. You are blessed. You're important. Imagine if when people met followers of Jesus Christ, not only did they not say the bad things, but they spoke blessing into others. As you walk with Christ, speak from your renewed heart. God, thank you for the things that you say to us, that we are loved, that we are valued, that you desire a relationship with us. God, we come before you this morning and confess, we say things that are inconsistent with what it means to be a follower of you. So God, by your Holy Spirit, would you come into our hearts and do the work that we cannot do on our own. Change us, renew us, remake us to be more like you. And God, would you help us as we go from this place to speak life and light and blessing into this world. To remind people that they are loved by you, created by you, made for purpose by you. That every single person that we interact with is your child. Someone whom you desire a relationship with. And would our words reflect that reality? Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. And in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m each week that we gather. We do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E.org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T- Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to having you listen again next week.